today on Ag News Daily. There was an opportunity when we met uh, to create an animal health focused program right here in Topeka. And uh, so we, we have extended, expanded that focus to animal health and ag tech. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Karnash. And as I understand, you are feeling a little better today. I am feeling a little bit better. I don't sound better, I don't think. But it's like your your voice always sounds different in your head. And then I listen to it back on the podcast. And I'm like, is that really what I sound like? I don't, I don't think there's much of a difference today. Good. I'm glad you're feeling better. We're happy to have you back. I got to tell you, though... I'm curious if any of our listeners are having this issue, but uh, my allergies have been unusually bad for this time of year. I'm guessing just, you know, it hasn't rained up here for, I mean, it kind of has rained, but not enough to where it's kind of like subsiding all of the pollen and bean dust and all of that stuff. So I'm curious if other people have had allergy issues this time of year. Well, I know that a lot of my friends, at least down here in Lubbock, have just been struggling a little bit because we all have just had strep. Every time I tell somebody that I've had strep, though, they either tell me that they also have it or one of their friends has it. So it's just like a nasty bug going around down here. Well, it certainly is, I guess, Ashton. Well, Delaney, apart from talking about the sniffles, we have some news to discuss. And from what I understand, you have a good bit to tell us. Okay, so I'll just start here. We're going to talk about the John Deere strike because that's still going on. As we know, 10,000 workers are striking here. And so this gal that I was talking to at the gym today, her friend works at the facility here in Iowa that is on strike and works in accounting and financing, Ashton. And the gal I work out with said her friend told her that John Deere has now told those people that do not work on the floor, have not worked in manufacturing, have worked in you know other areas, HR, accounting, financing, et cetera, kind of the office salaried people. Uh, those people have had to get on board or get out. They have been told that they are going to go through training to run the manufacturing floor because they don't have workers to keep the assembly lines running. And so now these folks that are not used to working in that factory type of position are being forced into different shifts where, you know, like last week's shift would have had training working on the floor. Now this week's shift is going to have training and work on the floor. I was baffled when she told me this. That's quite interesting because from everything that I've read, it sounds like the higher ups at John Deere are really trying to make something work, but I feel like this is completely different. It is. It's very surprising. It it kind of makes me wonder too, in John Deere doing this, making salaried workers work on the floor, does that give them more leverage with the union? I, I don't know. I think that it's an interesting development to say the least. Uh, you know, I, I reported the other day that they had some kind of contingency plan in place, and I guess this is it. <laughs> that must be it. Yep. But that, I, I don't know. I'm very mixed on it. I was talking to Blaine about that this morning and he said, you know, I said, basically these employees were told that if they didn't like it, they could either leave or they had to go through with it. And he said, the job market is so hot right now. I don't know why any of them would stick around for that, but I don't know everybody to each their own. Some people like 
having a job. Some people probably don't like the idea of not having a job and quitting and trying to find something else. So there's definitely two uh, ways to look at that one. I would definitely agree there. And I don't really think there's an end in sight. And we're going to keep talking about this, of course. And I'm interested, hopefully we'll have a conversation later this week to talk about how this is, of course, also going to be impacting the used equipment machinery prices. So, I mean, it's like a trickle down effect. There's a lot happening right now. So hopefully we can dissect that a little bit more later this week. But for now, I want to kick things over and talk about the RVOs because the head of the Kansas Corn Growers Association, Greg Krisik, says that he wants the Biden administration to follow through on campaign promises to support ethanol. Krisik said that there's uncertainty in the industry because RVO under the renewable fuel standards haven't been set yet. The EPA hasn't released RVO requirements as a November 30th deadline is fastly approaching. We're just about a month and a half away from this deadline, and we really don't have much to go off of yet. So I'm also going to be looking out for this one to see if we meet this deadline. If I'm remembering correctly, Delaney, we didn't meet this deadline last year either. No, we typically don't meet this deadline. It is not one that, for whatever reason, we follow through on very well. Then I don't understand why we have it. <laughs> well, that's a good... Hey, nothing is fast to get done in Washington, D.C. You had to have a target deadline. Otherwise, things would just keep getting pushed off further and further into the future. I guess you're right. I am just kind of a person when I have a deadline, I don't want to disappoint people or myself. So I try really hard to meet that deadline. So I guess they just need to put me in office. There you go. There's your campaign slogan, Ashton. We are going to make you a politician. Oh, I don't know about that one. I don't think that I'm cut out for the DC life or the, the politician life, I should say. That's okay. I probably wouldn't be either. But uh, switching tracks here a little bit away from politics. Well, I suppose this is also probably somewhat politically driven. But um, as we continue to talk about supply chain disruptions, Hurricane Ida obviously had a major impact in a lot of different facets of agriculture and manufacturing and exports in general. But Bayer's glyphosate facility down in the uh, Port of Louisiana or Louisiana area has been idle for about six weeks now and just came back online apparently today after being shut down. But last night, we also saw Bayer had a big investor meeting um, in which they told investors that the company has seen no impact on its full year guidance, regardless of these other big market factors. This glyphosate facility that I was mentioning there just went back up online and they said that even with that and, you know, about six weeks of production loss there, it will involve some cost impact. But for the most part, they're saying that they're still on track here for a pretty stable financial year, which hmm, if you're a farmer, probably doesn't make you too, feel too warm and fuzzy as input prices continue to rise, Ashton. I know I invited you to the grain marketing discussion group on Facebook. Folks, check it out if you're not already part of it. But yesterday, they just kind of did a spinoff group for fertilizer 
discussions. And I just hopped in there. I like to watch what farmers are saying because I think that gets reported differently than what the media shares. And it's been interesting to see different parts of the country, what folks are reporting there for fertilizer prices. I saw a guy that shared kind of like a little matrix spreadsheet, Ashton, talking about his basically various input costs and looking at the price comparison of corn versus soybeans, because obviously fertilizer is a much heavier used input in corn acres and soybean acres. But uh, he was calculating that his new break-even price, and he didn't do a fully extended, you know, if I have this many bushels, I need to make this much. But basically, he needs to make a lot of, he needs to have, we need to have high commodity market prices in the $5 for him to have a low yielding corn, high yielding corn, you know, 200 bushels plus still in the mid $4 range to get that uh, break even met. So ultimately what this signals to me is that balance sheets are going to be pretty tight next year on the corn side of things, which is going to be a interesting when we get into the acreage discussion come later this year into the spring, Ashton. I'm glad that you brought up Bayer, Delaney, because I had this and a couple of other things that I wanted to hit on when it comes to Bayer. And, you know, you talk there about, um, you know, corn acres and, and those kinds of things. And I've seen a couple of different stories, but in particular, Liam Condon, who is involved, I think he's the head of the ag unit at Bayer. I can't remember his title correctly, but when he was asked if rising production costs may push farmers to plant fewer acres of corn, he said that it was a little bit too early to know whether producers might make any shifts, but I've seen a lot of conversations talking about that. And another thing that I also kind of wanted to hit on when it comes to Bayer is that they said that they estimate that its average seed prices will go up about 5% for 2022. And this comes as farmers are pre-buying seeds and chemicals that they need earlier than normal. So I'm interested to see how 2022 plays out. I am as well, because there really are, I, I mean, I hate to be a market bear in this instance. Darren Newsom's famous for that. I'm following in his footsteps now, Ashton, but there just really are a lot of factors lining up here that don't paint a wonderful picture for agriculture from a balanced cash flow perspective. No, not not at all. And I actually read an article earlier today talking about how just some of the things going on right now from the supply chain to labor issues, how it's all kind of a tidal wave. And so that just kind of put a negative image in my mind. So I am a little bit anxious today on how things are going to be playing out here in the US in particular. But I am also looking out on how things are playing over in China when it comes to their swine herd, because it was announced earlier today that China has allowed imports of breeding pigs from Ireland. These pigs must be put under quarantine in Ireland for no less than 30 days before export. This approval took effect on October 18th, so that was yesterday according to the notice that was released. And this notice also set out various health and hygiene requirements for the export. I didn't see the notice in the article that I have been reading. It doesn't say any specifics, but I'm interested to know what these 
health and hygiene requirements are since China has really come down when it comes to African swine fever and of course COVID-19. So I am interested to know a little bit more about that, but that is what I have right now. Actually, I have one more thing that I want to add there. I kind of cut myself off early, but the approval of these Irish pigs comes as the market has entered into oversupply. So I that that definitely piqued my interest a little bit. Well, Ashley, it just sounds like maybe they're trying to put extra precautions in place there. Not that, I mean, to my knowledge, not that Ireland has had any ASF cases reported, but uh, maybe that is just China being a little extra cautious this point in time. I think so. I think, like I said, they've been not overly cautious, but they have been really cautious on how they're doing things. So I think it's just China being China. Well, that's definitely could be the case here, Ashton. But I tell you what, I just have one other piece of news here as we head into chat markets here in just a moment, and that is crop progress report. We are well over halfway done now with corn harvest. USDA reported yesterday 52% of the U.S. corn harvested as of October 17th, 2% below the average trade guess and about the same time as where we're at for the five-year average. Soybean harvest, however, showed 60% complete here. We're hoping we're done with soybean harvest maybe today or tomorrow in our neck of the woods at our farm. But overall, this was a little bit below the average trade guess, which pegged soybean harvest to be 63% complete and well down from the 2020 73% average, but still ahead of the five-year average. So, Overall, there, folks are getting into the field, getting things harvested. I was just chatting with a gal today in North Dakota, and it sounds like things are, <laughs> unfortunately, ironically, pretty wet up there. You know, they've been having a really dry growing season. They had a lot of drought this year. Now they're having the opposite problem, Ashton, where they're getting a lot of rain and farmers are having a hard time getting in and getting the crop out. Well, Delaney, I have seen a couple of people in the cotton fields, and so I think that they are definitely gearing up for cotton harvest down here. So that's the next thing that I'm going to keep my eyes set out on. Gratefully, we don't have any rain in the forecast for at least the next 10 days. So as people are starting to make their way to the, towards the cotton fields, I don't think we'll have too much trouble there. Nope, I hope not. So it's a great time of year, so get in and get out, right? Absolutely, Delaney, but I am ready to get into the markets today. What about you? Fantastic. I am as well, Ashton. We had an interesting day today as we closed higher in the soybean markets and lower in the corn markets. In the wheat markets, uh, pretty much down across the board just slightly today, but a little bit of excitement there in the soybean side of things. Kicking things off, however, though, in the December corn contract up excuse me, down two and a half cents to close at 5.30 and a quarter. The March down a penny and a half to close at 5.39. In the soybean pits, as I mentioned, higher today. The November contract adding six and a half cents to close at 12.28. The January up eight cents to close at 12.37. In the Chicago wheat pits, the December contract down a quarter of a cent today to close at 7.36. The March down a quarter of a cent to close at 7.48. In the livestock pits today, we saw weakness across the entire protein complex. 
December live cattle down 40 cents today to close at 130.02.5. The February unchanged on the day to close at 135. Feeder cattle today showing weakness as well with the November contract down 50 cents, ending the day out at 158.85. The January down 32.5 cents to close at 159.22 and a half. And in lean hawks, December down $1.35 today to close at 77.40. The February down $1.32.5 to close the day out at 80.45. Ashton wrapping things up here in the class three dairy milk futures. We saw a little strength today as the November contract added two pennies, closing at 19.18. The December up 12 to close at 18.92. Ashton, without further ado, we're going to be chatting technology today with Go Topeka. Well, for today's conversation, we are talking to Katrine Bridges, who is the Senior Vice President of Innovation for the Greater Topeka Partnership. Katrine, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. So, Katrine, before we really get started into our conversation today, I want to know a little bit more about you and your position. What are your duties from a day-to-day Oh, from a day-to-day basis. Um, so my position was created about uh, three years ago uh, with the singular focus of, well, actually two focus areas. Uh, number one, to put Topeka on the map in the animal health corridor and also to enhance the entrepreneurial ecosystem of Topeka and Shawnee County. And so what that means is uh, Topeka has a lot of opportunity uh, because of our location and because of uh, the regional relationships that we are building um, that are related to animal health. And uh, your your, uh, audience may know that um, there is an industry cluster called the Animal Health Corridor that is the 300-mile stretch between Columbia, Missouri and uh, Manhattan, Kansas that houses um, the world's largest concentration in animal health, animal diagnostics and nutrition companies um, in, in so for that industry. And in Topeka, we have a, a very... A strong partner, uh, industry partner in Hills Pet Nutrition, um, and that is, um, you know, the the pet food uh, science diet um, uh, brand uh, within uh, Colgate, and and so with that um, expertise that we have right here in Topeka, we thought that it would be a great idea to explore ways to have an even bigger impact in the animal health corridor. So um, my charge in this position is to explore innovation um, in the context of animal health and ag tech. Yeah, because as you mentioned, Katrine, that area really is a big area for animal nutrition, animal companies. You mentioned it's the corridor there. Talk to us a little bit more, though, about your role and how GoTopeka fits into that overall corridor of animal nutrition and health companies. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, so GoTopeka is the economic development arm of the Greater Topeka Partnership. And, and that partnership umbrella also includes the Chamber and Visit Topeka and uh, Downtown Topeka, Inc. Um, Go Topeka is charged with creating economic impact 
um, for, for the future of our community. And uh, as you may know, Topeka is a capital city, uh, capital of Kansas. So we have a lot of uh, government assets in terms of state, local, and, and federal government. Uh, but also we are located very conveniently between K-State University that has a very strong veterinarian school and uh, innovation uh, partners uh, that uh, you know we, we we count as one of our assets in the region. Um, on the other side, in Lawrence, we have KU, which is a strong research-based university with a, with a strong school of pharmacy. Uh, the KU Innovation Park that is um, developing there, and of course, we are we consider ourselves part of the Greater Kansas City region uh, that has really strong uh, animal health, life sciences, one health type. Um, uh, industry um, uh, players uh, represented. Um, so Go Topeka is thinking about the region holistically um, in terms of how can we position us um, as a place where businesses succeed um, and businesses of all sizes. Um, I'm particularly interested in this startup world uh, because as we are building out programming to support and attract startups in the animal health and um, ag tech field, uh, we came across um, the Silicon Valley-based venture capital fund plug and play that uh, we have entered into partnership with and have launched our first of its kind animal health accelerator program right here in Topeka that runs um, twice every year. So you say that this is the first accelerator program of its kind. How does this differ from other programs? Ah, very good question. Uh, so it's the first of its kind um, for plug and play as they are building out different industry uh, expertise areas. Um, so plug and play is a global uh, organization. They are represented um, on five continents, um, many different countries, but they also have uh, expertise in running accelerator programs um, in 20 different industry verticals, anywhere from energy and sustainability, um, retail and branding, supply chain and logistics, mobility, fintech, and so on. Um, there was an opportunity when we met uh, to create an animal health-focused program right here in Topeka. And uh, so we, we have extended expanded that focus to animal health and ag tech because of the uh, strong tradition of, of, of agricultural technology that we have in Kansas um, and in the in the heartland region. And, and I think your, your, your listeners probably know more about that than, than me, most likely. Uh, but there's, there's a huge opportunity to use uh, the experience that exists in the heartland um, and bring that to um, you know, innovators from around the world that can um, increase productivity, create new jobs, make sure that sustainability is, um, you know, a focus area in, 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 in innovative trends of the future. And so, Katrina, as you look at the programs that you guys are working to implement, how do you go about actually working with animal tech startups or ag tech startups? Are you going out and recruiting people to come and move offices to your area? Are you putting together incubators of sorts to grow new tech companies? Tell us a little bit more about the day-to-day -day of that. 
Yeah, so um, a little bit of everything. Uh, we we are very proud of having launched the Plug and Play Accelerator program uh, this year. Uh, we are currently hosting our second full cohort, um, and and those programs run about three months at a time and um, support about 10 startup companies during that time. And those startup companies come from all over the world. Um, So they're not just located in the U.S. Some of them are local, uh, but many of them come from around the world. And and that's the business attraction part of of our strategy that we're building. So, um, of course, we are hoping that we can um, provide those businesses and startups um, with resources and uh, connections and potential markets uh, that help their businesses be successful. So we're very open in inviting uh, those kind of innovative startups to see if we can be part of their success story. Uh, maybe as they um, they are growing, consider Topeka to be um, a new foothold for them because we're in the animal health corridor and so many of the regional players are, are right here. But also, uh, we are uh, offering uh, incubation space uh, to local startups. So I think the the combination of the two strategies is really powerful uh, because we think in terms of ecosystems. And uh, if you you combine um, the innovation ecosystem that Plug and Play brings to the table with our local ecosystem of entrepreneurs, um, and um, and regional research partners and corporate partners and government partners, uh, then you have a really interesting um, offering. What I should mention is uh, outside of, uh, you know, the ecosystem connectivity that we can provide, we have also uh, embarked on um, developing a, an innovation campus. And um, we're very proud to announce that we have closed on a building. Uh, so we, we have one particular property um, that we that we intend to develop together with a very experienced developer that specializes in innovation campuses and um, innovation spaces, life sciences building um, on on a national scale. And uh, we hope to have that first phase of that innovation campus, that first building uh, coming online um, either late 2022 or early 2023. So that will give us an opportunity to really provide that space uh, to those startups and entrepreneurs that want to take advantage of um, our programming and the connectivity that we offer. So, Katrine, this is the second cohort here of the program. So what are some companies, of course, we're talking about animal health and ag tech, but can you tell us a little bit more about the companies that we're seeing in this second cohort? Yeah, sure. Uh, So um, keep in mind that the program um, is searching for startups and select startups very much based on the specific needs and focus areas 
that uh, our corporate partners have. And maybe I can mention a little bit about who those partners are because they were really fundamental in founding the program, launching the program, and uh, they have a lot of input on the strategic direction. And those are Hills Pet Nutrition, um, our local animal health partner. Um, the second corporate partner is Cargill, uh, very much in the um, you know production animal space. And, uh, and the third partner is Evergy, our local um, and regional energy provider. And while that may seem like um, an interesting combination of industries, it really at, at the back end makes a lot of sense. Um, I think, uh, you know, Evergy um, wins very much if it finds uh, the right uh, offering that it can uh, give to our agricultural and animal health related clients. So it's it's really a, a good mix. So with that in mind, um, the startup companies that are in the current cohort uh, cover uh, anything from um, pet nutrition, uh, microbiome, gut biome, uh, to um, pet telehealth <laughs> solutions to supply chain solutions, but also, uh, you know, battery solutions and um, and sustainability efforts in terms of packaging. So um, it's actually a really interesting uh, lineup uh, that was selected for this current cohort. Well, Katrine, it's been really interesting to hear a little bit more about the Animal Health Corridor and just more about this cohort and the program. For our audience members that might be interested in looking into the program a little bit more, where can they find information? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so we have a lot of information online on at uh, gotopeka.com slash innovation. Um, and uh, I want to make you aware that we have a our, our plug and play expo day uh, that will show all the 10 startups that have uh, participated in the program with their pitches. And that happens on November 10th uh, at 10 o'clock central time. So it's a virtual session and I invite everybody who's interested to, to join will have a registration link on the uh, website that I just mentioned, go to pika.com slash innovation. Well, awesome. Katrine, thank you so much once again for coming on and chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks again there to Katrine for coming on and talking to us. I definitely enjoy getting to know a little bit more about these accelerator programs. And I don't think that this is going to be the last of its kind. So folks, if you know of any programs or just of any cool tech companies that we should be talking to, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily to give us the word. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.